Next up from Reliance Partners is the debut edition of the Safety Matters podcast. Here's a preview featuring Mark Barler, one of two subject matter experts from the Reliance Safety Team who will be joining us for this episode in which we will discuss the out-of-service challenge. This is something that's been happening more and more, and this is where states, other states other than the driver's home state in which he possesses his CDL, those states, if you get stopped in that state and you get issued a citation and you don't pay the citation, they can suspend your operating privileges in that state and may never notify your home state that they're suspending this driver. Now, they normally will send something to the address listed on the CDL, but if you don't get that information or think that it is some spam mail, they can get suspended in that state. Now, what other states are doing right now, there's a thing called SIDLIS, and they report all suspensions up to the SIDLIS that every state is a part of. Welcome to Safety Matters, the podcast series from Reliance Partners. Hello, everyone. I'm Tom Albrecht, the Chief Financial Officer and Chief Revenue Officer at Reliance Partners, and I'm your host for this podcast, serving as a companion to the Safety Matters webinar series from Reliance. Thank you for choosing to spend some time with us here today. For those of you not familiar with Reliance Partners, we are the largest independent insurance agency focused solely upon trucking and logistics. Our entire team appreciates the important role that trucking and logistics plays every day in this vast economy, and we are absolutely dedicated to this industry. As we previewed for you at the top, this Safety Matters episode will examine how to navigate the out-of-service challenge, also known as OOS. To help us dive into the key issues related to out-of-service, I'm thrilled to welcome two Reliance teammates, Mark Barler and Daniel Vega foremost experts in various safety and compliance issues. Both are former state troopers who did thousands of commercial trucking inspections. Before we get rolling down the podcast highway with our guest, I want to talk to you briefly about the Safety Matters series. Through both our podcast episodes and our monthly webinars, we are focused on accomplishing two broad objectives with Safety Matters. First, we develop Safety Matters as a way to help our motor carrier friends in their efforts to be safer and more compliant. After all, there's so many safety regulations. At the end of today's episode, we will share some information on how you can connect with our team at Reliance Partners if you'd like to ask them questions or learn more in general on how Reliance can help your company. Another inspiration for launching the Safety Matters podcast and webinar series is that this platform provides an opportunity for our audience to get to know our safety experts. We have a very talented and accomplished group that makes up our safety team here at Reliance. And today, we're thrilled to present Mark Barler and Daniel Vega as we address the out-of-service challenge. And with that as our backdrop, let's meet our experts for today's Safety Matters episode. Mark? Let's start with you. Hi, my name is Mark Barler. I used to be a Wisconsin State Patrol Master Inspector. I did that for 22 and a half years and retired back in 2020. And now I work for Reliance Partners, helping out our clients with safety issues that they may have. I've conducted about 10,000 inspections in my career. I was an instructor for FMCSA for the cargo tank and hazardous material inspection programs and got certified to do the Part A program, which is the first instruction course that all new deals officers go through to get level three certified. 10,000 inspections. Was that 10,000 headaches or should we save that for a different occasion there, Mark? <laughs> That's a different occasion, I believe. 
Okay. Daniel, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, guys. My name is Daniel Vega, Director of Safety at Reliance. I was a former state trooper in Arizona for about 10 years. Went through the Part A, Part B hazmat training. My area was Southern Arizona, Southwest Arizona. That's where I was stationed at. Now I'm here helping our insureds with anything that has to do with safety. And Daniel's still out in Arizona, by the way, but your territory is much bigger now than when you were a state trooper. You've been working out in California, Texas, and all sorts of places in between, correct? Yeah, we have a lot of accounts in Southern Texas, Laredo area, and then Northern California, Sacramento, Fresno, Bakersfield area. That's great. And Daniel just joined us three months ago, and he's been a fantastic addition to the team. Well, let's start with the basics. We live in a world full of acronyms, including many from our friendly Uncle Sam in the United States government as it relates to transportation. We all know of these acronyms like CSA, HOS, FMCSA, DOT, MC numbers, NHSTA, and on and on. Well, CVSA is an acronym, but it is not a government agency, yet they're in charge of the whole out-of-service inspection process and what constitutes regulations. CVSA was founded in 1980, originally as an alliance between selected officials in the United States and Canada. And then in 1991, Mexico was brought in as part of the alliance. And a lot of the goals are so that there would be a common framework for commercial motor vehicle uniformity and reciprocity in enforcement practices. It's a great group. It does fantastic work. Typically around February or March, they announce any new changes for the upcoming year, and they always take effect on April 1st. And no, that is not an April Fool's joke. But Mark, let me start it with you. Why don't you take that brief overview of CVSA and tell the audience a little bit more about it and what motor carriers absolutely need to know. Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance is a great organization that brings enforcement, government regulators, and industry together to create inspection processes and best practices on how to conduct roadside inspections. They are the ones that come up with the out-of-service criteria, and that committee is made up of industry. Everybody in industry can have an effect on the out-of-service criteria just by showing up to their meetings and voicing your opinion on what we see as best practices. And the whole point of CVSA is to bring Canada, Mexico, United States, and all of those partners together to prevent crashes, prevent injuries, prevent fatalities due to the operation of commercial motor vehicles. Daniel, there are four out-of-service sections. I'd like you to just talk to the audience about what those four are and where can folks in the audience get more information on CVSA's guidelines in general? Like Tom was saying, there's four sections. First one being the driver out of service. Second one being the vehicle out of service. Third one being the hazardous material. And the fourth is administrative. So just going back to the driver, those are violations that deal with the driver specifically vehicles, all vehicle violations and hazardous materials, hazmat. For the administrative part, you have violations like inactive DOTs or federal out of services. If you're looking to, to get a copy of the out of service criteria, you go to cvsa.org. You could get in an app now. It's something that I would strongly recommend for all companies to have. 
Yeah, it's a critical part of the industry. And even though CVFA is not a government agency, the requirements set forth because so many different parties from motor carriers to regulators to the various governments and lots of folks in between agreed on these standards. It's not something that motor carriers can ignore. And oftentimes we find that younger fleets, whether that's one or two trucks or even 10 or 15, don't have the familiarity with it that they need to. And even sometimes up to 150, even 200 trucks depending upon how that company's been growing and organized, they may not have the knowledge that they need. Mark, let me ask this question. So again, Daniel mentioned the four areas, drivers and out-of-service requirements, vehicles, hazmat, and carrier operations, which he described as administrative. Let's focus first on the drivers and out-of-service. You were a trooper, I believe, for 22 years. What were some of the most common driver out-of-service situations, violations that you saw, and what's a driver to do? The most out-of-service violations that I saw while conducting my inspections were drivers who have suspended CDLs. And most of the time, that was because they didn't have their medical certificate uploaded to the DMV. So they would get a suspension placed on their CDLs. And literally, once they have their medical certificate, they can upload it to the DMV and within minutes get their CDL validated again and they're off on their way. Violating the hours of service through falsifications in a log was a big one where I worked at in between Milwaukee and Chicago. A few years ago, prior to this year actually, any falsification that was an apparent attempt to conceal an hours of service violation would automatically generate a 10-hour out-of-service period. But beginning back in April 1 of this year and with the implementation of electronic logging devices, those devices are so good with tracking operations of the vehicle. Officers can now see when drivers are operating, when they're not operating. And as long as a driver has had a 10-hour break between the point of falsification and the point of stop, then they're no longer going to be placed out of service. Those were the things that I saw the most of during my career. Mark, why would a driver not know that their CDL has been suspended for something as straightforward as a medical certificate? Drivers don't really understand the regulations to where their driver's license will be taken away from them if they don't get that upload. It was a change in the regulations for most states. I believe that FMCSA required this. They required every state DMV to implement this, and they gave it several years for everybody to be compliant, every state to be compliant. Now, the states don't have all the resources to talk to every driver, to talk to every motor carrier, telling them that, hey, these new things are coming in. And if they did, a lot of companies will overlook it or may not understand it. But once they find out that their driver's been placed out of service, they usually understand it pretty quick after that. They make sure all their drivers get their medical certificates uploaded to the DMV. So that was a pretty straightforward violation, medical certificates. Can you give us another example that's maybe a little bit more complex where a driver would be placed out of service? This is something that's been happening more and more. And this is where states, other states other than the driver's home state in which he possesses his CDL, those states, if you get stopped in that state and you get issued a citation and you don't pay the citation, they can suspend your operating privileges in that state and may never notify your home state that they're suspending this driver. Now, they normally will send something to the address listed on the CDL, but if you don't get that information or think that it is some spam mail, 
they can get suspended in that state. Now, what other states are doing right now, there's a thing called SIDLIS, and they report all suspensions up to the SIDLIS that every state is a part of. Now, when a driver or motor carrier look at their home state, they're not suspended, but they may be suspended in another state, and that is an out-of-service violation for your CDL, and you may never know it. The motor carrier may never know it. This is becoming more and more frequent. States such as Oregon and New York querying every state in the nation where when people run their MVRs, they only get to run up to three states to make sure that they're not suspended anywhere. Now, this is a push that we should make to government and say, hey, you should open this up to everybody to be able to check at any time. Fascinating. Daniel, let's shift to vehicle out-of-service situations. Can you give us an example of some of the most common vehicle out-of-service situations that you've seen? During my time doing inspections, I think the three most violations I would see is brakes out of adjustment, brake hose that are chafed, inoperable tail lamps, and then just flat tires. Those are the most common ones that I would run into. And later on, we'll talk about the pre and post but that's very important in order to reduce these violations. Absolutely. So let's delve into that a little bit. So first of all, what's the definition of a flat tire? Maybe I'll aim this at Mark. And then a lot of times you actually have a chance to challenge that if the inspection report was incomplete. So kind of a teaser for our audience there. Mark, tell us what a flat tire is and sometimes where you can help with a data queue challenge. So CVSA has come out with an operational policy under operational policy 15. And they state that a tire is flat when the tire pressure is at 50% or less of the max rating listed on the tire. Now, every tire has that maximum pressure that's allowed. Officers, they're instructed, they are not to check tire pressure unless there's an indication that there's underinflated tire there. And when they do check it because there's an indication, one of the indications may be, and this is happening more and more across the United States, is there are tire pressure sensors in the roadway coming into scale facilities. So they may already know that a tire is underinflated while entering into a scale facility. Here in Wisconsin, coming northbound on 94 from Chicago, tire pressure sensors in the scale. I-55 South, coming out of Chicago area, tire pressures in the ground prior to you reach the scale. So they measure the tire and they measure it's 50% or less the max pressure. It's considered a flat tire, not underinflated. Now, things that we can challenge and I've been successful on is when officers will write a violation because there is a regulation that says they can't have an underinflated tire. But there's a bunch of other things that need to go with that. CVSA has stated that we're not even dealing with it. It's 50% or less and nothing else. So if the max pressure is 100 and our tire is at 55, then we should be good to go. Shouldn't be placed out of service for it. Shouldn't even be written as a violation. That's where we can come in and assist. Now, if an officer just states tire is flat, well, it's kind of hard to argue with an officer when they says it's flat. I mean, how much PSI is in there? Who knows? But most of the time, officers will be real good and put information like the tires off of the seal. So it's no longer connected to the rim, has a hole in it that you can see through, things of that nature. Or they've actually measured it. Most officers are actually putting that information in there right now. 
I believe you said if the officer does not list the max PSI and the actual PSI, then that's a potential for you to challenge that and overturn through a data queue a violation, which ultimately would be helpful to scores and even insurance premiums, depending upon a lot of other things. But anytime you can get a score going in the right direction or a violation removed, that's a big positive. Yeah, so I recently won one where an officer put down that the tire inflation pressure was at 65 PSI. Well, I have not seen a tire on a semi that's been rated for more than 120 PSI. They did put down the max pressure was 110. I'm like, well above the 55 PSI that it was needed. We were successful in getting not only the out of service removed, but getting that tire violation removed. Eight points for the tire, two CSA points for the out of service. And we got to remember for the first six months, it's not eight points plus the additional two. You have to multiply it by three because they're time weighted. So that 10 total point violation for vehicle maintenance is actually 30 from the date of the stop for the next six months. You mentioned pre-trip inspections. Why don't you talk about the importance of that? Because I think a lot of times truck drivers, early in their career, they may be diligent with that. And then over time, it's easy to maybe get away from a pre-trip inspection as diligently as it needs to be, unless their organization is constantly reinforcing that. But that's only one part of the inspection. But let's start with the pre-trip. So with the good pre-trip inspection... We want to make sure that we're checking everything on the outside of the vehicle that we can actually look at and get our hands on. And make sure that when you do your pre-trip inspection, you do it the same way every day. That way you make sure that you don't inadvertently miss something on a certain day. Things that you do want to focus on, you want to check tires every day. You want to check your lights every day. Good pre-trip, good post-trip. You want to check that your connection to your trailer, you're not leaking any air. This time of year, people want to speed up their pre-trip and post-trip inspections. Take your time. Thump every tire. Check your air hose connections to your trailer. You want to check all of your lights to make sure that they're working. Turn your four-ways on. Do that pre-trip, post-trip and I call it BLT, inter-trip inspections. Every time you get out of the vehicle and before you start driving again, do a quick walk around checking your lights and your tires. Get inside the vehicle, check your low air warning device, check your ABS lights in the dash, check the ABS failure light on the outside, on the trailer, on the driver's side towards the back. And then listen for air leaks. If we can hear air leaks when we're stepping on our brakes, then we know that we have some sort of hole in our air system somewhere. It's leaking from somewhere. We want to find that because if we find it, perfect. Let's get it taken care of. No CSA points are going to be assigned to us if we find it. No CSA points will be assigned if Daniel finds it or Tom finds it. But if Mr. DOT officer finds it, it's going to be written down. And every violation will be written down. Some companies think that officers are being mean because they route so many violations. This is exactly what they're trained to do. And part of that is, is one, to hold companies accountable, and two, to make sure that the carrier knows exactly what issues were found so that they can correct them so they don't become a bigger issue later on. Daniel, did you have a comment on the whole pre-trip, post-trip, and intra-trip yeah, something I tell the companies I work with is what can the drivers control? And that's doing their pre-trip, post-trip. Anything outside the vehicle, the driver should catch before leaving the yard. Anything in the undercarriage, that's more for mechanics. 
So what can the driver control? And that's flat tires, lamps. Those are things that driver could control before he leaves that yard. How many pre-trip inspections do we need in a day? And I'm going to interpret that question a couple of ways. One is if you're a very short haul, multi-stop motor carrier, like maybe a gasoline hauler stopping at seven or eight quick shops and gas stations. But also, are they supposed to do a pre-trip inspection every time they stop for a meal, to use the restroom, whatever the circumstances? My advice is to do a really good pre-trip inspection at the beginning of your day. Check your windows, check your bumpers, check your lug nuts, check your frame of the vehicle, of the trailer. If you're hauling hazmat, check to make sure all your valves are closed. You haven't developed any leaks over time. In these colder climates, a lot of seals will start to fail going from summer to winter. We might get some leakage from a cargo tank. It actually happens quite a lot in the north. So we want to make sure that we check everything really diligently at the beginning of the day. The intertrip inspections, go ahead and limit that to the items that are normally going to place you out of service because you pick something up in the roadway or because of the roadway or just because of the wear and tear of the vehicle. Lights do go out. Tires do pick up debris and they do go flat. You might pick something up or run over something in the roadway that actually nicks one of your air hoses. Or if you're connecting up multiple trailers in the day, you could flip over the grommet on the glad hand. And now we got a constant leak there as well. So those are things that we want to check throughout the day. And then at the end of the day, we do a good post-trip inspection. And then we have to write out that DVIR, daily vehicle inspection report for any violation that isn't repaired by the end of the day. So before we start the next day, we can make sure that that has been fixed. You mentioned four of the common out-of-service vehicle situations you see. I think it was brakes out of adjustment, maybe brake hoses, flat tires we've talked about, brake lights. Let me give you a situation. So let's say a driver has gone through an inspection and it's found that there's a brake issue on the tractor. The trailer, maybe it's a simple thing like the lights. What's he supposed to do when his whole vehicle has been taken out of service? Now he's been stranded. What's your recommendation there? I'll start with you, Daniel, but anyone, because it's frustrating. The things I would recommend, if it's like a lamp that a driver is able to fix, as long as he fixes out of service, they're good to go. Brakes is a little different just because depending on the amount of brakes you have out of adjustment, you're going to be out of service. I would recommend calling a roadside service to take care of those. The officer is not going to release you because if he releases you, then he carries the liability. Yeah, absolutely. Mark, if it's fairly straightforward, like a light that Daniel referenced, it's still not as simple as the driver can go get that light. He needs permission from the officer, right? Can you talk about that a little bit, Mark? So when it comes to the out of service, now there's a couple of things that can happen. If it's on the trailer and you're allowed to drop the trailer where you got inspected at a facility and there's no out of service on the tractor or connected out of service violation on the tractor, you can go and grab a light. That used to happen all the time when you get a flatbed trailer being pulled by a pickup that didn't have a breakaway braking device. They go over to a store, they pick up the devices that they need, usually a battery and some wires to get the electric brakes connected up. Not an issue. But when it comes to actually working on the brakes, you got to be a brake inspector. You got to have training to actually work on the brakes. So brakes just being out of adjustment may need more than just a driver going underneath it because they got to be certified to work on that stuff. 
So we may need to call roadside assistance. Now, if you see an out-of-service violation out on the side of the interstate, normally that officer will escort you to the next place for them to call roadside assistance, a safe place to get it repaired. Nobody wants to have a tire change on the traffic side of a shoulder of an interstate highway where you got 70 miles an hour, literally inches from where you'll be working at. That's just a liability waiting to happen. Now, if you do get that, if somebody gives you that permission and they're not going to escort you or they are going to escort you, ask that officer to put in the notes section of that report, escorted to a location, allowed to travel to a location. Because what will happen during an audit is the FMCSA investigator is going to see those inspection reports, going to see we got a vehicle maintenance violation. They're going to ask to see the repair receipts for that. If they see that that repair receipt was done in a city 200 miles away, that's going to be an acute violation for operating while ordered out of service. How did you get from point A to point B? When did it get fixed? Those questions need to be answered. Now, if the officer puts that in his inspection report, great, we have it right there. We don't have to call anybody else or they won't have to call anybody else. So we need to make sure that we cover all our bases when it comes to being placed out of service. And if we're moving that vehicle, that we're doing so at the behest of that officer or we took another vehicle that wasn't out of service. One of the interesting things, maybe Daniel, you can address this, is California does more inspections than any other state. Of course, the population is quite large, but the out of service for drivers is consistently amongst the lowest of the 48 continental states. In fact, I think this past year they were the lowest. Yet Oregon, one state to the north, has one of the highest out of service rates for drivers. Any particular lessons from those states? I know we didn't kind of prep that question per se, but you've been living out there for a long time, seeing things for quite a while. What do you make of the difference between California and Oregon? Well, I think up until this year, just from speaking to some drivers, is I know California with the new LD mandate, they weren't enforcing it as strictly. That was some of the feedback I was getting. Maybe that's the reason. I used to work at the border of California Arizona board, I would inspect a lot of California companies. And where we would see the issues is the smaller companies, them not being in compliant with the ELD mandates. But every state enforces the same federal regulations. Maybe they just aren't finding the violations. But at the end of the day, every company has to follow them. Just to add a little bit to that, I actually talked to a couple of Oregon enforcement officers about five years ago. Why is your out-of-service rate the highest in the country for drivers year after year after year? He said, we have cameras on the interstate when you come into the state and when you leave. So if you get stopped at the scale, we query the system and it shows us when you came into the state. And if you're not matching up, it's falsification. And if it's an apparent attempt to conceal back then, then they place you out of service, which was the standard at that time. So I thought that was very interesting that they had cameras set up for when they went across certain bridges and came into the state and whatnot. thought that was very interesting. And where did I meet these guys at? CVSA conferences. You meet these people, they answer your data cues that you can call for interpretations on things. You meet a lot of these people at CVSA conferences. These are the people that help bring in the changes to regulations that bring in changes to the out of service. So if you have never been to one, go to one and you will see a lot of good information is passed out at these conferences. 
That's Mark Barler with his closing observations on this episode of the Safety Matters podcast. We'd like to thank Mark and his fellow Reliance Partners teammate, Daniel Vega, for joining us on today's podcast. Mark and Daniel will be returning for our next Safety Matters when we continue our conversation covering the key challenges around the out-of-service issue. When Mark and Daniel return to the podcast, we will discuss the value of mock audits and also other strategies that can help trucking companies avoid out-of-service situations. Before we close out this edition of the Safety Matters podcast, we'd like to encourage our listeners to get connected with us. Follow us on all of our social outlets. That's Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. All are at Reliance Partners, so you can stay up to date. Especially keep an eye on LinkedIn for announcements when our next episodes will be airing. Just search Reliance Partners. And of course, don't forget to visit our website at www.reliancepartners.com. There you can explore everything we have to offer, from requesting a quote on insurance to viewing our comprehensive range of services beyond safety. We'd like to invite you to become a regular listener to this podcast by subscribing to Safety Matters on your podcast platform of choice. You can find our podcast by searching Safety Matters on all of the major podcast outlets. And of course, by becoming a subscriber to our podcast, you'll be notified each time we release a new episode. You'll also have an opportunity to rate our podcast and share feedback with us. Thank you, everyone, for spending part of your day with us on the Safety Matters podcast. One final word before we close things out, as our podcast title says, Safety Matters. So on behalf of the entire team at Reliance Partners, let's stay safe out there.